You're listening to The Desk Set, a bookish podcast for reading broadly. We're your hosts, Emily Calkins and Britta Barrett. This is a special mini-episode about KCLS's Best Books of 2018. process that we go through every year. We gather nominations from librarians and public service assistants who work in the branches, from the folks who buy all of our books. We put them into a big survey. We let all of our staff vote. And then we go through and sort of look at the top vote-getters. We look for a balance in terms of genre and topic and author's background and point of view. And uh, and then we come up with 25 in four categories. So we have adult fiction, adult nonfiction, children's, and teens. Awesome. And who's in the adult fiction category? Oh, gosh. Uh, this is my favorite category, of course, and also one that is just, like, full of great books that I love. So it's hard for me to even know where to start. Several books that we talked about on the podcast already this year. Very exciting to have Kristen Hanna, um, The Great Alone, is on our list. Um, that Kind of Mother, which we talked about with Kim Fu, which is a book that I loved from this year, is on the list. Two of my personal favorites, um... Very different. The first one is The Witch Elm. And did that just come out? It came out, yes, it came out last month. Yeah, in October. Uh, already making the charts. Already making the charts, <laughs> yeah. New York Times bestseller when it came out. And I think Tana French is beloved by librarians. So I read an advanced copy of this, and I am quite sure that I am not the only one. Uh, she writes the Dublin Murder Squad mysteries, which you may have read. There are six in that series. This one, The Witch Elm, is a standalone. The main character is this sort of golden boy. He set in Dublin. He's lived this like very charmed life where he opens the book by telling us how lucky he's been. Oh, it's uh, a bad sign. Yes, right. <laughs> Not a great sign in from someone you know as a murder mystery writer. So that is immediately followed by a scene in which his apartment is broken into and he's basically almost beaten to death. And he doesn't die, an instance of luck. The doctors are like, we thought you weren't going to make it, but you did. He's left with physical and mental trauma from this uh, horrible incident. And so he can't, he doesn't think as fast as he used to. He's confused. He has a lot of memory issues. And then he finds out that his uncle is, his great uncle, who lives in this sort of family ancestral home, this big, beautiful house, is dying. And they need someone to go and live with him for the end of his life. So Toby and his girlfriend move in with Uncle Hugo. And then the family is all gathered together. The kids are playing out in the yard and they find a skull in this tree that's growing in the backyard. So it opens up this whole mystery of, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Where did the skull come from? Is it the tree they think is, you know, a couple of hundred years old. So at first there's this question of, is it a historical skull or is it a recent skull? And it opens up all of these uh, questions about uh, Toby's childhood and his cousin's childhood and who this person in the tree could be and how that person ended up there. Uh, I love her writing because it is so rich with atmosphere and this is a huge book it's like 500 plus pages and in terms of the actual mystery it's not super fast paced like it unravels pretty slowly they don't even find that body until more than 100 pages in 
And yet, she's so good at creating uh, this sort of sense of dread and um, uncertainty in this case, because Toby has all these memories issues, that you're kind of on pins and needles the whole time. And you just, in terms of a book to like sink into, uh, all of her books are this way. But I think The Witch Elm is particularly um, particularly sort of juicy in terms of atmosphere. And the other thing that I love about her writing is the way that she ties these like really engaging plots with these really rich themes. So this is a book about um, sort of privilege and, and memory and how we think about ourselves and how our own perceptions of events are very different from what other people remember. Uh, I just loved it. It's The Witch Elm. And now you've got something completely different for us. <laughs> completely different. Yeah, my other pick, again, I love so many of these books, but my other pick uh, is The Kiss Quotient, which is a debut romance. Uh, it's an own voices book, so the author, in the process of writing this book, actually sort of self-diagnosed herself with uh, autism spectrum, and she has followed up on that and, you know, gotten the official diagnosis and everything, but it's about this woman named Stella. She's an econometrician. So that means that she researches people's purchasing behavior and tries to figure out like how to get them to buy more stuff essentially. Uh, and she's really, really great at her job. She's super smart. She derives a lot of pleasure from like doing her job and being good at her job, but she is terrible at the sort of human interaction stuff. She has had really bad experiences with dating and sex. And she's sort of like, in, if she had her druthers, she would just leave that. But her parents really want her to get married, and they want her to have kids, and she feels like she sort of owes something to them. Which So she decides that she's going to approach this problem the way she approaches any problem, which is to do research. <laughs> so she hires an escort. Um, his name is Michael. He is half Swedish and half Vietnamese and just, like, extremely dreamy. And they're going to do this sort of no-nonsense business relationship where he's going to teach her about sex and dating. And, of course, because this is a romance novel, uh, they cannot maintain the no-feelings business relationship, and they sort of fall for each other. And uh, it's just great. It's really funny. It's got a huge cast of characters who are really wonderful. Uh, it's pretty steamy. I like a romance novel that knows what it is and is sort of aware of the conventions but doesn't and plays with them but doesn't sort of reject them. And I feel like this book is that exactly like uh, the author embraces all of the conventions of what a romance novel is and you just get this just like wonderful love story with a happy ending and like I said it's pretty steamy I think if you are a person who hasn't read romance before it's a great place to start because it's definitely a romance novel but it's such a good one with such great characters and great dialogue and <laughs> there you go so what else is on the list just to give a little shout out to some other titles oh my gosh okay um so we've talked about mystery and romance we've got um a couple of local authors in addition to Kristen Hanna we have um Jonathan Evison who's a Seattleite his novel Lawn Boy is on the list um we've got some short story collections including another one of my favorites of the year, You Think It, I'll Say It. We've got science fiction, uh, fantasy, lots of great titles. I really, I love all of these books. You can see the full list at kcls.org slash bestbooks, and that's true for all of the lists, and we'll have both the 
print format. We'll also have an ebook version of the list so you can check those out. Um, so that same diversity that's on the adult fiction list, we also have on the nonfiction list, we have a ton of different kinds of titles. Uh, do you want to tell us about some of your favorites? Yeah, you know, I love nonfiction. And boy, looking at this list, there are some themes that emerge. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it seems very clear to me that our staff are thinking about all the same issues that are really at the top of national conversations that we're having. And the first one that really stands out to me is race. We've got uh, books like Eloquent Rage by Dr. Brittany Cooper, White Fragility from Robin D'Angelo, Things That Make White People Uncomfortable from Michael Bennett, and So You Want to Talk About Race from Ijeoma Luo. And they're all books that are tackling this subject from different perspectives. Um, are you familiar with some of these authors? Yeah. In fact, um, one of the things that I think is kind of cool about that particular chunk of titles is not only are they looking at race from a variety of perspective, but they, quite a few of them are local. So Idioma, of course, is a local. Um, Robin D'Angelo is local. And Michael Bennett, of course, is a former Seahawk. <laughs> yeah, Idioma uh, has written for Jezebel, The Guardian. She's the editor at The Establishment. And she writes on subjects of intersectional feminism, social justice, and race. But she's probably best known for her viral interview with Rachel Dolezal. Mm-hmm. And what I love about this book is I really feel like there's something for everyone in there. The title is a little provocative. Like, does anyone really want to talk about race? I don't even think the author does. When she's um, been interviewed, I got to see her recently perform um, as part of Call Your Girlfriend Live, another podcast I love. She was a special guest speaker. And Anne Friedman was asking her, like, how do you wake up every day and continue this very difficult conversation? Like, where do you drive that energy from? Is it exhausting? And Gioma very graciously said something to the effect of, I wish I never had to speak on the subject again, but I have like the patience and ability <laughs> to have it. And maybe if I put it all in one book, then we won't have to keep answering these same questions over and over and over again. And she felt like it was her responsibility, but she wished other people felt that burden too, to mm -hmm. unpack things and to ask these questions and that this book can be an answer to that. Um, another author on this list, Dr. Brittany Cooper is a feminist scholar, author, and professor. Her book is actually the current pick for Emma Watson's book club, Our Shared Shelf. Oh, cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, and um, her book, Eloquent Rage, is sort of taking on the notion of the angry black woman mm -hmm. and looking at that not as a bad thing, but maybe as a superpower and how anger has worked in the lives of people like Michelle Obama, Serena Williams, Beyonce, and really made their work better and more vibrant because of the anger behind it. Huh, sounds fascinating. I have not read that one yet either. And then Robin D'Angelo is um, an academic lecturer and author working in whiteness studies. And she defined the concept of white fragility as a state in which even a minimum amount of racial stress becomes intolerable, triggering a range of defensive moves. So I think that kind of goes back to what we were just saying, like mm -hmm. to, to not engage with the idea of race is a privileged position that we as white folks have. And it it's not uncommon for the reaction to hey, we should talk about race to be like, no, I don't want to. I'd rather not. Race is not something I'm comfortable talking about or thinking about and having the ability to sort of step back from that. Um, 
Something she points out is that a lot of our discussions of racism center around specific behavior being intentional, individual, and mean-hearted. And so if we view race through that way, if you point out racism as opposed to it being systemic and unconscious bias, someone hears that and thinks like, I'm a bad person, Mm -hmm. and immediately wants to disprove that as opposed to sort of looking at the way we all fit into these broader systems. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot of interesting stuff to unpack there. Yeah. So rounding out that chunk of the list, we've got Things That Make White People Uncomfortable by Michael Bennett. He is a former Seahawk, an activist, an organizer, and a feminist. And his book really looks at police brutality, the NFL, the role of protest in history, sort of the responsibility of athletes in calling out injustice and follows in the footsteps of activists like Muhammad Ali and Colin Kaepernick. Um, I love his reading list that he posts online. I noticed recently he's picked up like the new Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander, some Angela Davis books, Rebecca Solnit. Speaking of Rebecca Solnit, she is also on the nonfiction best books list with Call Them By Their True Names, which is her newest book. I love all of her other books, like Men Explain Things to Me, Hope in the Dark. Yeah, she's fantastic. So there are lots of other themes on this list. Um, One of the things that kind of stood out to me is true crime Mm -hmm. and really having a moment this year. So one of my favorite nonfiction books of the year is uh, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, the Michelle McNamara book about the Golden State Killer. Uh, It's an incredible book. I'm not really a true crime person, or I don't think of myself as a true crime person, uh, mostly because I just don't read that much nonfiction. But it's beautifully written, and she does such an interesting job of weaving, looking at her own sort of interest and like, why is she so obsessed with this? And then also doing all of this sort of really in-depth, gritty work in terms of like trying to identify who this person, who this um, criminal possibly could have been. And then of course it was the impact of the book is compounded by the fact that she died suddenly before she could finish it. So the end of the book is um, written by some researchers that she was working on, but they're very clear uh, that it's sort of an unfinished work. And then on top of that, they caught him, which was so incredible. Uh, so after the book came out, you know, it was really on my mind. And then this incredible story um, that they had used uh, DNA people's um, sequence DNA that they share freely online to sort of track him down and um, just an incredible story, but really a fascinating book in a lot of ways. Um, there are two other true crime books on the list. There's um, A False Report, A True Story of Rape in America, which is actually set partially in the Seattle area. Um, the false report that's referred to as a young woman who was raped in her apartment in Kirkland reported it to the police and ended up recanting it. But then it turned out later that she was a victim of a serial rapist who had struck um all over in Colorado, as well as elsewhere in the Pacific Northwest. There's another one on this list that I don't think of as a true crime book, but at its heart, is kind of what it talks about. And that's not that bad, um, which is an anthology that's edited by Roxane Gay, which looks at rape culture from so many different perspectives. And I feel like this conversation has really evolved. And to hear so many different voices comment on the impact that has, it's a hard book to read, but I think it's an excellent one. Yeah, she's Roxane Gay is wonderful. She last was on last year's list twice uh, with both her memoir Hunger and um, a collection of short stories, Difficult Women. So clearly a favorite at KCLS. Absolutely. And then there are a few like health topics on here. 
I don't know that that's the exact right word for it, but um, How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan is sort of a psychotropic journey. Sure. I think that's a fair description. (laughs) I like that Michael Pollan was like, food, food, food. Okay, I'm going to pivot. What am I going to pivot to? Hallucinatory drugs. I mean, mushrooms can be enjoyed in many ways. (laughs) And I feel like microdosing as a topic is one that's come up in Mm -hmm. popular culture and Mm -hmm. the imagination more recently. Yeah, and the whole popularity of CBD, which of course Mm -hmm. is not intended to be a hallucinatory drug, but is I was just reading a New York Times article about how it's like really unregulated and maybe still contains some active THC, which is the active ingredient in marijuana. So I think that is all sort of in the air as well. What other health topics are? So there's Natural Causes uh, by Barbara Ehrenreich. Yes, Barbara Ehrenreich. She wrote Nickel and Dimed, among other things. She's sort of beloved for a combination of journalism and memoir. Uh, And I think this one is the same. And I haven't read it yet, but I'm excited to. I'm on hold for it. It looks like it's posing kind of provocative idea that maybe we should try less hard to not die. (laughs) Yeah, basically. Less hard to be well. That the Mm -hmm. idea, like this idea of wellness uh, and sort of maintaining our, our wellness as long as we can is maybe harmful in other ways. That longevity shouldn't be our ultimate goal. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Something about quality of life and all of that. And so. any author who suggests I shouldn't spend every single day at the gym is one I'd like to see. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a genetics book as well. She has Her Mother's Laugh by Carl Zimmer. So this is one that looks at um, genes and inheritance and what we really get from our parents and how much we understand about that and how much we don't understand about it. As an adopted person, I would love to read that. Yeah, yeah, it's great. <laughs> so let's move on to maybe the teen list. Sure. I have to admit, I am not much of a YA reader. So I was thinking, I was looking at this one and thinking about our conversation about um, banned books, teen titles, and graphic novels, and how much I see that on here. I think of the 25 titles, five of them are graphic novels. So we've got an adaptation of Speak, which is a classic YA novel. Loved it. It's wonderful. And the illustrations, so the, the book is by Lori Hulse Anderson. The illustrations are by Emily Carroll, who you might know. Um, she's wonderful. I have not actually read this yet, but I'm really looking forward to it. So Speak, the graphic novel, Brazen, Rebel Ladies Who Who Rocked the World is a graphic novel, Illegal is a graphic novel, Hey Kiddo is a graphic memoir, All Summer Long is a graphic novel by Hope Larson. Oh, and Check Please is also a graphic novel about a college hockey player. So six, oh, seven, and The Prince and the Dressmaker is a graphic novel. So seven of our 25 titles are graphic novels. And really, we get the whole range of content there. We've got contemporary stories. We've got Illegal is about um, immigration. So we've got tie-ins to sort of the news. We've got nonfiction, memoir, and then we have fantasy prince and the dressmaker is sort of this fairy tale story um check please is a contemporary about a college student so on the older end all summer long is on the younger end for fans of like reina telgemeier it's about a girl going to camp and sort of that coming of age becoming a teenager figuring out friendships and all of that complicated stuff that's on the younger end so we've got the whole range there in the graphic novels which is really fun those are so popular we um in book match, one of the most frequent requests we get is more like Raina Telgemeier. So I'm always excited when we have new titles. 
We have one local author. Um, Deb Coletti has a new one that came out in September, A Heart in the Body in the World. I love that title. Yeah, isn't that a great title? She is wonderful. Uh, she's both a wonderful author and just a very wonderful person. She's a great library supporter, but... Um, I think this one is also very timely. It's about a young woman who decides to run from Seattle to Washington, D.C. Um, as a way of kind of escaping and then eventually dealing with trauma in her own life. Um, literally running? Yeah, literally. <laughs> with her grandfather and her brother in an RV as, like, her support team, she just is going to run across the country. And so she develops kind of a following, and there's some bigger conversations around her, but also sort of, like, th- what led her on the path. So... That one is great. It is Children of Blood and Bone a fantasy novel? It is a fantasy. So there's lots of fantasy on this list, too, which is not surprising. Children of Blood and Bone was the top vote-getter in this category from our staff who love this one. It's definitely sort of Hunger Games meets African-inspired fantasy. So it's set in a world where the people with magic have kind of been oppressed and their magic skills have been taken away. And it's about a young woman who ends up kind of leading this resistance. Um, That was definitely a big title this year in terms of popularity. And I think just well-loved by our staff as well for being both really fun, feeling kind of timely without being contemporary. But like I said, lots of other fantasy on here as well. So the Hazelwood is sort of a dark fairy tale. Which are so popular. Yes, absolutely. Um, The Cruel Prince is by Holly Black, who's a big name in YA and is also sort of a fairy tale-esque. Children of Blood and Bone and The Cruel Prince are also both series starters, which is a a big trend in YA. And I see Leah on the offbeat, and that's not a sequel per se, but that is like a follow-up book to... um Love Simon. Yes, it's a follow-up book to Simon versus the Homo, Homo Sapiens Homo <laughs> Sapien agenda. Yeah, um, so it's set in the same world, and some of the characters from um, Simon reappear. She's great. Have you read? Did you read Simon? Um, I didn't. It is so charming. She's just um, kind of in the vein of John Green. Just really captures with great specificity a certain kind of teenager, these sort of like smart, quirky, kind of outcasty kids going through that moment of figuring out who they want to be in the world. <laughs> um, and they're just really funny and charming. Uh, and I think all I know about Leah is that she's maybe like a curvy gal, like a bisexual, pretty sassy. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't have you seen the cover of this one? Mm-hmm. It's got a beautiful cover. I think um, one of the things that's kind of cool that you you'll see when you look at this list online is that it's a really diverse list. And really, this was just like what it, what's getting the most votes from our staff, and the covers reflect that. So that's been a big battle in the publishing world is to when you have a book with a diverse cast to have that accurately reflected. Often, books with characters of color get a building or something kind of abstract that kind of erases that visibility. But so many of these titles, another one um, is Dread Nation, which is sort of a fantasy, alternate history, civil war, zombies, 
people, young people of color are being trained up as zombie fighters, and the heroine is a young woman who's a former slave, and she's right there on the cover. It's a great cover. Um, that was another super popular one in the voting. And what's American Panda about? Yeah, so American Panda is sort of in the vein of Leah on the Offbeat. It's a coming-of-age story about a young woman who's 17. She's graduated early. She's Taiwanese-American. She's at MIT, and her parents have a really... Uh, clear expectations about what she's going to study, who she's going to be, who she's going to marry, who she's allowed to date. And she gets to school and finds a lot of that sort of upended. So she meets a Japanese boy and sort of falls for him. And it's just really like fun and charming, um, topical, but in a light way. Maybe for fans of When Dimple Met Rishi. Definitely for fans <laughs> of When Dimple Met Rishi, which was on our list last year. So love those lighthearted teen romances that are still smart and funny and so what about for kids and i'm a sucker for beautiful illustrations oh man is there anyone i need to know about there's so many on this list this we could have had a list just of picture books with beautiful illustrations but like i said we're always going for balance so this one's about the list is about half picture books and sort of half chapter booky kinds of things for beautiful illustrations Probably my favorite on the list is Drawn Together by Min Lee and Dan Santat. So this is a book about a young boy who goes to visit his grandfather. The grandfather only speaks Thai and the boy only speaks English. And so they can't really connect. And they find a way to connect with each other through art. So the boy has brought his art supplies. He's drawing himself as a superhero. And it's really like he's got these bright, colorful illustrations. And the grandfather realizes that he also has art supplies. And he brings out sort of a traditional pen and ink and draws himself in this more traditional black and white sort of tie style. And then you get all of these wordless pages of them sort of blending their art styles and then the grandfather's character and the little boy's character going on an adventure together and fighting a dragon together and it's gorgeous just beautiful book and does what I think the best picture books do which is uses the illustrations the illustrations are integral to the story so it the story is in the is in the illustrations and so I definitely recommend that one Oh, Dreamers by Yuyi Morales. Yuyi's a multiple award winner, and this is a nonfiction book, actually, about her immigration journey. Um, she came from Mexico with her son when he was brand new. And her art combines um, collage with painting. She uses 3D objects as well as drawing and all kinds of different mixed media. This is a wonderful story where she sort of depicts how difficult it is and sort of the colorless world that is overwhelming when you're new and you don't speak the language and then they discover the public library so of course as librarian I love it but there's a there's a full page spread where they walk into the library and suddenly the world is full of color and one of the things that's really fun is it's got real book titles throughout the book when they're exploring the library um, and they had to go and actually get permission from the publishing houses to use all of these but she's meticulously recreated all of these recognizable spines so you'll see lots of your other favorites in that one so that's another really beautiful one I have to ask what is I just ate my friend about oh my god <laughs> this I don't know. There's so many great books on this list, but this might be my favorite picture book. It's exactly what it sounds like. It's about a little monster. Um, the, on the first page, the monster says, I just ate my friend. And then he's very sad. He wants to find another friend. So he, 
um, the monster is going around and talking to other monsters. Would you like to be my friend? You're too big. You're too loud. You're too fast. Um, so it's a, it's a fun book for really to read out loud with really little um, kiddos because there's a lot of those sort of basic concepts that are really valuable in a picture book. But it's also very funny. It has a wonderful sort of surprise ending. If you like, um, I want my hat back. That Which series, I do. yes, it's very <laughs> in keeping, uh, in keeping with that series. It's great. There's so many great. Books. Spoil it for me. Did the monster eat their friend? So the monster finds a new friend, and then the last page is the friend saying, I just ate my friend. (laughs) It's so great. It's fantastic. Um, I love it. What else is on here that's really wonderful? Uh, One that I've been reading over and over again to my little one at home is A Big Moon Cake for Little Star by Grace Lynn. So this is one that has a very sort of traditional folktale feeling, although Lynn actually made the story up. Um, It's about a little girl named Little Star and her mother... She and her mother bake a big moon cake and they put it in the sky and she's not supposed to eat the moon cake. But every night she sneaks out of bed and she takes a little bite. And so by the end of the month, the moon has slowly gone completely away and they have to start over. So you get sort of that um, folktale-like explanation of the natural world. It's also very beautiful. It's got um, the backgrounds are all black. And so it's sort of these sparse black backgrounds with this big glowing mooncake in the sky that gets smaller and smaller. It's very sweet and charming. And there's graphic novels on this list as well, and no surprise there. So Cardboard Kingdom by Chad Sell is a combo graphic novel where he works with a bunch of different authors and artists to follow the kids in a neighborhood doing fun stuff with cardboard. That's a great one. Um, Be Prepared by Vera Brosgall. Have you read her before? What would I know her from? Anya's Ghost. Yes. Yeah. So she's the artist who did on, the artist and author who did Anya's Ghost, and this one is about a kid going to camp uh, again in that sort of Raina Talgemeier vein of like being in your being in your tweens and trying to figure out who your friends are and how the world works and very funny. Um, baby monkey, private eye is exactly what it sounds like. It's about a baby monkey who's a private eye. If you have kids on your holiday list who are just beginning to read independently, this is an awesome choice because it has huge, the font is really big and there's just a few words on every page, but it's thick like a chapter book. So it feels like an accomplishment to read it. And it's very funny. Brian Selznick is a beloved children's illustrator. Um, the invention of Hugo Cabret and uh, others, um, but it, this is really a story about a little monkey who's a private eye. And there's lots of great and funny details about the cases that he's working on. <laughs> and it's very, very charming. So I definitely recommend that one. I think it would be a great gift for kids who are just getting ready to read independently or just working on reading independently. And thinking about all of these lists, are there any that stand out to you as excellent gifts to give this holiday season? In addition to Baby Monkey Private Eye, for younger readers, I would recommend Arusha and the End of Time by Roshani Chokshi. So if you have readers who like Percy Jackson, this is definitely in that vein. It's about a 12-year-old girl who's struggling a little bit at school. She's got a reputation for kind of elaborating on the truth. And um, when some of her classmates challenge something that she said, she ends up touching a lamp 
at the museum and sort of unleashing some magic that needs to be put back right away. Um, so super fun, action-packed. It's got like a diverse cast of characters. So if you have kids who, who love Percy Jackson or that kind of action and adventure, but still pretty lighthearted, um, that's Arusha and the End of Time. For teen readers, I think any of the graphic novels would make great gifts. On the adult nonfiction list, I think Calypso makes a great gift. That's David Sedaris, who has written some of my favorite holiday stories. Mm-hmm. Um, just so unbelievably funny. So funny. And uh, this one in particular is sort of about family and aging and I think things that are uh, close to a lot of people's hearts and their own experiences. I also think How to Taste by Becky Seliga is a great gift. Totally. So happy that that one made the list. We had Becky on the show earlier this year, and she's so interesting and smart and funny. Um, anybody who spends time in the kitchen, How to Taste is useful, and I think will feel sort of surprising and interesting. What's the library book about? Okay, the library book is, in fact, about libraries. So, Susan Orlean, did you read The Orchid Thief, or did you see the movie with Nick Cage? I saw the movie. My friend Nick Cage. (laughs) Okay, that movie is one of the weirdest, most wonderful movies of all time, I think. We didn't talk about The Orchid Thief on the um, movies and TV adaptation, but it's a great movie adaptation of a book. But anyway, so Susan Arlene wrote The Orchid Thief. This is her newest book. She's a nonfiction virtuoso, and it's about libraries, and in particular about the Los Angeles Public Library. So in 1986, um, the Los Angeles Public Library's central library basically burned to the ground. Um, The blaze raged for hours. It destroyed 400,000 books. It damaged another 700,000. Wow. Yeah. Um, And it's interesting, a little fact that I learned about this is the reason that people don't really know about this is it happened on the same day as Chernobyl. And so what would have been big news (laughs) became not big news. Mm -hmm. But she uses that, that... Um, fire as sort of a starting point for investigating the history and present of libraries in general and the Los Angeles Public Library in particular. And then she also looks at, like, what do libraries do today? And so as a librarian, of course... You should get this for us. Yeah. (laughs) We'll take this one as a gift. And any book lovers in your life, I think it's a great... It's an ode to an institution that we obviously love. And what about fiction? On the fiction list... The trick with giving fiction, in my opinion, is to get something that is popular but not too popular, right? Like, you don't want to get somebody something that they've already read. But maybe if you've got a fan of um, Margaret Atwood in your life, like, Red Clocks could be a great choice. Absolutely. Or a fan of Hands Made Tale. Yeah. Um, one that I am looking for the perfect person to gift it to is An Ocean of Minutes. I think that's also maybe for the, the Atwood fans in your life or anybody who loves Station Eleven or American War, um, which are two of my favorites. So it's a sort of literary science fiction time travel story. There's a pandemic that swept the country there, um, and the only way to really save people is by sort of entering into indentured servitude with this company. You time travel forward post-pandemic. The company pays for the treatment for your loved one. So it's about a young woman who does that to save her boyfriend. They make a plan to meet up in the future. Things don't go as expected. It's gorgeous. Um, just beautifully written, really moving. I like science fiction. I like genre fiction that um, uses the conventions of the genre to explore sort of 
the human experience, for lack of a better word. And I think that this one just does does that so well. Um, just really um, moving and. And maybe Great. the wedding date does that for romance? Sure, yeah. I think the wedding date, like the kiss quotient, is sort of like, if you're a romance person, you've already read the, red, the wedding date, so don't buy the wedding date for the romance <laughs> people on your list, but buy it for the people who like stories with, like, smart women who are good at their jobs and doing fun things and have great friends and also like get to have a happy ending um the main character in the wedding date works for the mayor's office in san francisco and she has this whole life going on outside of this relationship that starts with an elevator meet cute so i love a meet cute in the year of the rom-com the wedding date is a great gift for readers who are looking to get a little more rom-com in their life and then Spinning Silver and The Merry Spinster are both kind of like fairy tale for adults. Yeah, definitely. So The Merry Spinster is by Daniel Mallory Ortberg, formerly of The Toast. Um, this is for readers who, who like the weird. This is one of the strangest collections of short stories that I've ever read Um deeply unsettling, but in a good way. I love that. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's so Orberg takes familiar sort of stories. Um, there's one that's a play on The Little Mermaid. There's one that's a retelling of Cinderella and twists them almost beyond recognition. Um, and he's particularly interested in sort of ideas about gender and family and um, love in a very dark and twisted way. <laughs> like, this is not for your people who want the wedding date. Although certainly there are readers who will enjoy them both. But um, readers who like the weird, definitely the Mary Spinster is really, really great, unsettling, and unusual. So going back to some of this year's reading challenges, one of our books, or one of our challenges was to read a book by a Native American author. Mm -hmm. And there are two on the fiction and nonfiction list that I know that you loved. Um, Heartberries, a memoir, and There, There by Tommy Orange. Yeah. So full disclosure, I voted for both of those, and I'm very happy to see them on the list. Uh, Heartberries is a memoir. It's about a woman... Um, it's so hard to talk about this book. You read it too. It's it's hard to talk about both because the subject matter is really difficult and also because it doesn't follow a lot of sort of the standard conventions of what a memoir is. Right. It's it's kind of like a series of essays. It's about her childhood. It's about her relationship with her writing professor. She she dealt with um, a mental breakdown and was diagnosed with um, PTSD and bipolar disorder. And so it grapples with all of those things, but it's not what you think of or what I think of when I think of memoir, which is like, this thing happened, and then the next thing was this thing that happened to me. It definitely sort of circles around a lot of that trauma. The writing is beautiful. There's a line in it where she talks about um, Salish storytelling and how important um, the the lyrical quality and sort of the sparseness of the storytelling is. And that really rang true to me about the book too. Like it's, it's a small book, but it really packs a punch and it's just beautifully written. She's so angry and she is also um, sort of unapologetic about that, which I really liked um, just really unusual and, and wonderful. 
And then there, there also has a kind of nonlinear connective thread quality to how it uh, constructs the story, right? Um, so there, there is about the sort of native urban community in Oakland, and it follows a bunch of different characters who are living all kinds of lives. One of the things I loved about this book is um, Tommy Orange, the author, is so interested in sort of exploring what it means to be a contemporary Native American. That's not a story that we get to hear very often. And he does such an interesting job of pulling together all kinds of different people and showing that the urban Native experience is not a monolith. It's not just one thing. Um, and so it's, it looks at a bunch of different characters and sort of their lives intersect around this one tragic event. Uh, and it's a book that I wished there was more of. Like, there were so many characters that I was really interested in, and I just wanted to spend more time with them. Um, I learned a lot from reading it, and his prose is so vivid. There are um, just, like, sort of... You can feel the energy in the writing. You can feel, like, this sort of, like, electric pulse in it, and this... I almost feel like I could feel him sort of, like, chomping at the bit to, like, say everything that he wanted to say. Um, super memorable just great. I think we'll see that one on a lot of end of the year best lists. Is there anything that didn't make this list that you were kind of upset about? Like a personal fave? Oh my God. It's so hard because there's so many good books. <laughs> and I uh, have the the luck of being the person who gets to sort of in the end compile the list. So I get to um, make sure that things that I really love are on there. But of course there's more that I love. I can't include everything. Yeah. So there are two that just came out that I'm literally like reading right now concurrently. Uh-huh. And that's why they're not on the list. Yeah. They've just emerged. The that's a problem we yet. have every year. Like, they just came out. It's November. <laughs> we have to make the list. But those two are uh, Good and Mad by Rebecca Treister. Mm-hmm. And I Might Regret This by Abby Jacobson. Mm-hmm. Loving them both for very different reasons. Good and Mad sort of looks at the historical, much like eloquent rage, value of women's anger and how it's motivated uh, political change through protest demonstrations, um, really from our country's founding all the way up to the present moment and what we can, how we can use anger to be a motivational tool and also who's like allowed to express it and why. And then the Abby Jacobson book, you probably know her from Broad City. Mm-hmm. We get to see a side of her that's so intimate and special. And like, you can tell what parts of her character in Broad City are really true to who she is as a person. Uh-huh. But it's so nice to be led into maybe this like quieter, more anxious side of her that's not as like over the top caricature. Yeah. She's going on this road trip, um, across the country after a breakup, her first like major relationship with a woman. And the fact that she dates women is something that's new to many of us. Um, but it's such a sweet story of self discovery and reflection and memory and just hilarious the whole way through nice i love that uh like funny memoirs are there's so many of them now like if that's all you wanted to read like do funny intersectional (laughs) memoirs you could okay so i i thought of a couple um the fiction title that's not on the list that i am sad that we didn't have space to include is The Ensemble by Asia Gable. It's a great book. It's about a string quartet. So it starts with them 
finishing their graduate school and entering this competition, and then it follows their career for 20 years as they sort of fall in and out of love with each other and with other people and have children and their career sort of, um, the group's, you know, career sort of has peaks and valleys. And it's just really wonderful. If you love stories about sort of long relationships, it feels like a quintessential American novel to me. Like if you like Meg Wolitzer or Celeste Ng, it has that feeling of being both literary and also just like really about people and about relationships. And um, yeah, it's great. I really loved it. The ensemble. And on the nonfiction list, I just read so many good memoirs this year, and we could not include all of them. So uh, double bonus of, like, parenting books, parenting memoirs. Um, and now we have Everything by Megan O'Connell, which is about her sort of accidental pregnancy. They're going to get married. She and her partner are going to get married. They want to have kids. It's just happening a little sooner. But it is just appallingly honest. And as a relatively new mom myself, there were so many moments that I was like, yes, this is how it is. No one tells you. Um, And then Small Animals, which is also sort of a memoir um, that was kicked off by the author leaving her young child alone in the car for a few minutes while she ran into the store. She came back. He was fine, but someone had videotaped this. And she ended up, yeah, she ended up going to court and having to do community service. And it, it led her to sort of look at what are the actual dangers to children in our lives and how do we, how do we understand what's dangerous and how do we decide what's dangerous and how do we decide what's not dangerous? And does that align with what's to what data actually shows us is dangerous. So looking at sort of like anxiety and fear in parenting. Being like a completely anxious hovering parent might not be the best for a child. Yeah. So, so it's fascinating. It looks at sort of the cultural trends um, behind that and sort of like in the eighties and nineties, there was a big fear about kidnapping. And um, she, the statistic that really stuck with me is you would have to leave your child alone in the car on average for 750,000 years for them to be kidnapped (laughs) by a stranger, which I'm not saying you should leave your child alone in the car, right? There are a lot of other safety considerations and things to think about, but she's just very, she's very interested in sort of looking at why do we fear what we fear and do we actually need to fear that? And what are the impacts of not letting children walk to the store alone or walk to school alone? So it's fascinating, part memoir, sort of part cultural study. Um, that's what's been on my mind this year. So those are my sort of my two nonfiction titles. I understand why we couldn't just put memoirs about parenting mm-hmm. on the but best you books could list. Make an entire but I could make an entire list of just great memoirs, mostly about parenting that I read this year. P.S. If any one of these subjects you want to do a deeper dive into what are all the best of this one kind of category, you should totally try Bookmatch. Absolutely. So go to kcls.org slash bookmatch. Let us know what you're interested in, what you like to read, and we'll send you a personalized list made just for you by a KCLS librarian. Yeah, you can get your very own best books of the year just for you list. You can. Or if you're shopping for gifts for somebody on your list and you're having a hard time knowing what they might want to read, we love to help make gift lists. So you can do that as well, kcls.org slash bookmatch. So if you haven't already subscribed, subscribe now. Our next episode will be announcing the 10 to try 2019 category. So we're super excited about that. If you're so inclined, leave us a rating and review to help other listeners find our podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.